Hello, this is Janet Gallen welcoming you to Love Letters Live. Today's guest is Kian Bezavi, a friend of mine, and we were talking one day, and it occurred to me just about life in Iran, and talking one day about, well, the education that she got, and just a variety of things having to do with growing up in Tehran. And I realized that we're so um, often dependent on news stories for our understanding of other countries. And I thought this would just be really a nice opportunity for us to learn a little bit about what it was like growing up in Tehran. Kian is a very accomplished, highly educated woman. And let's talk about this. Okay, so Kian, let's just go to you so you can say hello and, and just talk about what life was like, where you were born, and just as much as you remember of your very young life. Thank you, Janet. Uh, thanks for inviting me. And um, I'm always uh, delighted to talk about my background and um, the country, my country of origin, because as you say, there is so much misunderstanding and That's right. so much misinformation. Uh, uh, I think in the media, they try to break things down in very black and white um, ways so that it's very easy to absorb and understand and be able to categorize very quickly. You know, this part of the world are bad guys, this part of the world are good guys, and then you can move on. But in reality, things are a lot more nuanced. And, you know, most of life is- And the kind of, kind of nuance that makes for a very rich life that we Absolutely. don't always care about. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, growing up in Iran, um, I was born there and I lived there through high school. And, um, you know, the memories that I have, a lot of it is growing up around family, you know, multiple generations. What, 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 was, your, what was your house like? Like you lived in a city. Yeah. So I grew up in Tehran. Um, Tehran is a a very bustling city of now 19, 20 million people. When I was growing up there, it was probably seven or 8 million. Um, oh extremely cosmopolitan, um, you know, a sprawling city in the foothills of the Albors Mountains. Is it beautiful? So, sorry? Is it beautiful? It's absolutely stunning. Every morning, the first thing I would do was run to the window and um, open the curtains and say hello to the mountains. Oh. And, um, and you would see this very uh, majestic mountain range. And depending on the weather, you know, in, in early fall, you would see a little bit of sprinkling of snow on the peaks. And then in winter, it would be completely covered with snow that looked like whipped cream and then in spring it would gradually turn like a very light shade of green so um every morning literally that was my it was um my daily daily ritual to say hi to the mountains and after that what did you do so so then i would go about you know eating breakfast and walking to school or my dad or my mom would drive us to school or I would take the bus when I got older. And um, yeah, I mean, the city is very vibrant and um, it's also very crowded, but I loved it. There, is, um, there are these certain 
certain memories that, um, for example, you know, Tehran is very dry. So whenever it rained, that smell of fresh rain oh. on, on dry earth, there's a certain smell that is yeah. just every time, like if I'm in a desert or something and I smell that, it just takes me back yes. to my childhood. Or by the, um, by, the way, by the way, scent, just to take a little minute here, scent, I, I think for me, and I think it's acknowledged is one of the most powerful yeah. memory joggers. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, cooking, well, anyway, go on more about it. Yeah, and uh, you know, other memories are, so Friday is the only day off. So we would go to school six days a week and then Fridays, oh. um, we had, you know, it's basically the weekend. And every Friday, my entire extended family would get together for lunch, either at my great aunt's house or my grandparents' house. And, um, and so, you know, you see the entire family, there's, uh, everybody is busy in the kitchen and then there's an elaborate lunch. And usually we would eat at about one and lunch would go on till three and sometimes, the, the adults would go into other rooms and take a nap and then wake up and come back for tea and fruits and sweets. And I mean, the party would just go on till midnight. And, um, and I remember when- every, um, every week this would happen. Every week, yeah. And so, and, and families, you know, most families would do that. So if like, uh, if you walked around at noontime on Fridays, you could just, smell this like beautiful aromas of food that families were cooking. And I had that feeling, you know, I lived in Barcelona for a while and I remember every Sunday I would hear the, the noise in the kitchen and all the neighbors and then the noise of silverware and it would just take me back to my memories of- Did you live in Barcelona as a single adult or- Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. In, um, so at some point I wrapped up a job and I was starting another job and um, I had good friends in Barcelona and I thought, you know, I could spend the, this, the hot summer in New York and labor away, or I can just take a few months off. Well, and- okay, let, let's, let's kind of work up to this stage. I want to know about school. I want to know about the kind of education you got. I want to know what your teachers were like and what their attitude was and how they dealt with very smart girls in their classes. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you had some wonderful teachers. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. about them? Yeah, so uh, I, first of all, most schools um, back in Iran at that time were um, segregated by gender. But oh. most of my schooling, I went to co-ed schools and um, uh, because they were more science-based, more rigorous schools. And was that something that your parents decided for you, given that they could tell yeah. what your what your tendency was? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always I always was really curious and um, I worked really hard. And actually that's not true. I didn't work very hard at school, but I was I was a very enthusiastic student, let's say. And um, and I used to read a lot on the side. And um, so, but I have to say the attitude growing up was, you know, you're a smart girl, great. You're a smart boy, great. I mean, there was no, um, 
nobody made a big deal out of the fact that a girl was smart in math and science. It was just kind of expected and equally celebrated as if, you know, same as if a boy was smart at math. We don't, we don't hear about this. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the misconceptions because we were actually, um, in t I mean, I was not aware that there was any sort of a bias um, against my performance in technical fields. I was completely unaware of that until I came here for college and especially when I started grad school. So it's ironic that um, you know what we hear about is very different, but a lot of my high school friends that stayed behind, they are well-respected civil engineers or architects or doctors. And, um, and if anything, uh, they, they enjoy even more respect because uh, people, because it's more rare, people assume that you must be twice as good, you know, to get to where a man is. But- um, You're saying that's not necessarily true? Well, I, I think, um, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily based on the, uh, you know, sort of the inherent biases is more because people see less, you know, fewer female engineers would show up at a construction site. And um, so when they do, you know, people just revere them a lot more. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm, you know, this is something that's um, uh, puzzling and disappointing for me when I see my two daughters at school and they have sort of been exposed and bombarded by this idea of, girls and math it's sort of a strange combination and I'm like why you know in Iran we were taught that math was beautiful you know a lot of ancient mathematicians came from Iran like Omar Khayyam and um, and so it was always sort of woven into our culture and into our upbringing that well, there was never there was never a um, I mean I mean I know here in our schools, you you do hear teachers and just the general population saying that, well, girls just aren't very good in math. I mean, that's just part of the cultural floating that girls aren't very good in math. And, you know, I for a while I was tutoring in algebra and geometry and um, it was so clear that the girls who were not very good at it were just fine at it. They just didn't have teachers who said, go ahead, have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of the most fun things you can do sitting down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I think teachers certainly play a part and uh, even the sort of un, um, unconscious biases that teachers um, exercise when dealing with girls. But, um, but yeah, I had fantastic teachers and, um, you know, in Iran, education is given extremely high priority. And usually the celebrities, you know, when I was growing up, the celebrities were not sports figures. I mean, sports figures were, yeah, well-known and well-liked or, or, or pop culture figures, but we, we knew our mathematicians and physicists and they were really celebrated. And a great example of that is Maryam Mirzakhani, the, um, the first female, mathematician to ever receive the field medal, which yeah. is basically the equivalent. She, she I believe, was a topologist, right? Exactly. Which exactly. is so hard. Yeah. And, and she, um, I mean, that's um, 
and there were many, many um, other brilliant women mathematicians like her. Well, so um, I just in, on another on another topic, and you you were how old when you left? I was eighteen. So you were finished with high school. Yeah. And you you moved here with your family. No, no, my, my parents couldn't come. I only came with my sister. Oh, I see. Your parents mm -hmm. came to this country later then. Yeah, so my parents came um, to the US about 10 years after, and I didn't oh. see them for many years in between. They must have been heartbroken. Absolutely, yeah. It was, it, it was during the war and um, the, during the Iran-Iraq war when I came here and um, and yeah, I mean, we didn't know any better, right? In those days, we didn't have Skype or FaceTime and uh, we would write letters and sometimes it would take six months for letters to go back and forth. No. But, but um, my sister and I, we were, we just figured, you know, well-, well Did you, did you your sister and you made a decision to move together? And was, yeah. that, was that fairly easy to do? Um, uh, the decision or the actual um, implementation? Well, everything of about it. I mean, I think it's it's got to be hard to leave your country and your home and your family and your Friday relatives being together. All the, it's got to be hard to make that decision. And then, yeah. how, what what do you do? I mean, how do you settle here? You had a place to live, or you got here and yeah. What? How does that? I'm always interested how that works. Yeah. So. Um, so the famous saying is the first six months on campus is the hardest, but-, uh, but Oh, you are, women. so you had been already accepted into a school? Yeah. So, so you had some place to land. Right, oh, right. So, oh. so we ended up going to Minnesota because both of my mother's sisters had been Fulbright scholars at the University of Minnesota in the late 60s and 70s. And so, okay. um, so, um, through, uh, because we couldn't take the SATs or the TOEFL exam. And, um, but because of our transcripts, we received conditional admission from University of Minnesota. And then we, when we came here, we stayed with my, one of my aunts was oh, here. Okay, so you had kind of a soft landing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, you weren't tossed out onto the street. Let me ask you something, cause I'm always curious about this too. And I know you didn't stay long enough to um, have this experience. But what is courtship like? Well, what's dating like? What was dating like for you in high school? Yeah. Such a thing? So, um, so I didn't, I didn't, um, I mean, it wasn't very common in those days for high schoolers to date, but there were, there were couples in our high school and everyone knew that they were dating. Um, and then, you know, outside, outside school, um, it was, you know, not very different than it is here. Uh, one thing, one thing that was common is, um, like boys would have their phone number written in tiny sheets of tiny pieces of paper, and then if they walked by and saw somebody that they liked, they would just hand them the phone number. The boys and, would hand the uh, girls the phone number. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that happened to me a couple of times, and I was like, you know, what's this? <laughs> So was it, it was an invitation to to have a friendship or a relationship yeah. and as opposed yeah. to here the boys have to call the girls right right yeah i don't know what it's like now no reason why she can't call him but it used to be just unheard of that a girl yeah. would call a boy to get together yeah in the 50s you yeah. know yeah yeah 
So, um, so I don't really know how it is right now, but um, yeah, that's that's one thing that I was I was too young to experience. Yeah, right. Okay. Tell me something else. How how um, well you mentioned that you had just been in touch. Well, first of all, let me ask you: you go back and forth to visit? You still have family? Yeah, they're on. All yeah, the aunts and cousins and yeah. Yeah, we have family there and um, I love going back. We've gone back, so probably six times in the past 10 years since our kids got to be older. Um, and they've gone with you? Yeah, yeah. And um, it's wonderful. And you know, I left 30, what, 35 years ago and there is so much that has changed. And uh, you know, the I mean, the city looks completely different. Oh. They have torn down a lot of the, um, right. you know, lower buildings and built high rises. And so there are only a few streets where things have stayed the same. And I keep going back to those same streets and keep walking up and down. Oh, because to kind of recapture what you had. Yeah. Tell me, yeah. are people are people doing okay? They're employed and they're doing okay economically and. Um, <coughs> It's um, there are stores that you still like going into. Yeah, okay. yeah, I love going into the bazaar, and uh, you know, bazaar is basically a very um, kind of sprawling version, a single-story sprawling version of a department store, you know, if you will, because there are kind of these different alleys, and every alley has, uh -huh. you know, here's the jewelry market, here's the, I don't know the pots and pans market. Here is the household appliance market. Well, but, when, you, um, when you go back and you call friends that you haven't seen, so you fall into an easy reunion with everybody, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I sent you a picture of one of my friends that, um, you know, it's, I mean, we've been apart for so many years, but every time I see her, it's as if you know, we had just been together yesterday. I know, just like any good friendship. It, it just yeah. telescopes. Closeness yeah. and friendship just telescopes time, doesn't it? Yeah. Tell me about yeah. the tell me about the high school friend you mentioned earlier before we started doing this that you had not seen in 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we went to high school together and she um, went to France and became a physician and then um, moved to Southern California. And um, a lot of my high school friends are now living abroad. And so we, um, we kind of get um, uh, tickled every time we find each other and we reconnect and um, we just immediately go back to when we were teenagers. So it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience to see how things evolve and yet how you still have things in common. Yes. I think that I think that is kind of interesting to note that I think in a lot of friendships that go way way back when you haven't seen each other in a long time, the natural thing is to grab the past, yeah, and kind of relive that, and yeah. then at some point you have to make the leap and step into the present and have your friendship take that turn. Right, you can't live forever talking about the past, right? Yeah, and it's always amazing that, you know, while we have the connections in the past, we have so much in common in our present lives. You know, it's as if we have kind of followed parallel but separate 
paths mm -hmm. and we can still connect not just about the past but about how we feel about you know our current lives sure. so it's really wonderful now do your daughters identify very strongly with life in iran or their heritage or i mean they, they were oh well they were born here they were born here yeah right, of yeah. course so you know i think they as they get older they tend to identify more and and i think they are more exposed to these misunderstandings that we talked about and so you know uh, they will always speak up and they will say oh well actually you know how the media portrays iran is inaccurate because in reality you know when i was there this is what i saw well that's good and, that they're doing that yes yeah yeah as a as the public uh, we lose out if we don't get a real picture of other lives in other countries and yeah other yeah. people there's, there's something about the first-hand experience that um sort of overrides all that we read or see in the media now i have a question for you because i i know the answer really but i'd like you to talk about it i know that you wrote a love letter to your parents can you tell us about that and what what prompted you to do this they're living they're living in in Minneapolis. Uh -huh. And so, um, Janet, you have been a great influence. And I have learned every time I see you, I learn so much from you. Oh, so well, yes, we did. <laughs> um, by our friendship. But um, one thing that um, you mentioned, you know, when I learned more about your work with love letters is you don't have to wait for someone to pass to write them a love letter. Oh, you can, and you shouldn't. That's right. Yeah. And it's so much more important to tell them how you feel when they are alive. And um, growing up, I was, um, you know, I adored my parents, but I felt like, you know, with my father, uh, I didn't have as, you know, my father is more of an introvert. He's a poet. He doesn't express emotions. Ironically, he expresses them on paper far, far more powerfully than he does in person. And, um, and I felt like there was so much that I wanted to tell him. So for his birthday last year, I, um, I wrote him a four or five page letter uh, to tell him all the memories of my childhood, how I remembered him. He was so handsome and he could always fix everything. And he was so strong and, um, and he would, you know, he would really, um, I, I could see so much of him in his poetry. And, um, and so I felt like these were all the things that I wanted him to know. And I wrote them and I mailed it to him and he was really moved by that. So I'm grateful to you for okay. having planted the idea. The interesting thing is, you know, you're the, you're the one who's just smiling at the memory of writing this letter. Mm -hmm. I think every letter that we write like this, first of all, I think it does a couple of things. Given that you started off in one country, in one culture, and you're now in another one, it's historically important. Yeah. I think, I think. And yeah. also, you know, we write these things for the joy we get out of living in the memories again. I mean, you talk about going back to Tehran and how the, the sense and just things that evoke memories but the mm -hmm. memories that you put down on paper just yeah. bring it all to your immediate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I think it's important, you know, we all live life for the first time and we are all making it up as we go. And I'm sure for my father, it was important to kind of see how I felt about his, you know, my relationship with him and about his parenting. And, um, and I think we all need that affirmation, right? We all need to know what we did well and- um, that's right. Yeah, give each other kind of feedback, but show appreciation. Hit the nail on the head because I think that as parents, and you know, you and your husband may feel the same. I don't know. We we need to know that we've done some things right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think far too often we blame our parents for things that haven't gone well, but um, but there is so much. You know, when I remember, um, there is so much that they did right and they were also trying to make it up as they went and they lived through a lot of turmoil and my parents were very young when they got married. And- um, Oh, were they, do you remember? So my mother was not yet 16. Wow. And and my dad was 25. So, and they went through a lot together, but, um, but I just wanted them to know that now that I'm a parent, you know, as an adult, I, um, I do appreciate the struggles that they went through and I do appreciate that they always prioritize their family and their children. Yes. And, um, and I know it must have been difficult, but, um, but there's a lot of good that came out of that. Well, you know, there's another thing as you're talking, I'm realizing that as <coughs> parents get older, which you don't know about yet, but um, I've seen this with older parents and I've, at some point, you want to know that you can depart this earth and know that your children will be just fine. Yeah. That is kind of a, that's a gift. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point, you want to be able to stop worrying about your children and yeah. the life you and your husband have made here and as, as successful as you are in your line of work. Thank you. And as much as you give to the world and as much in charge as you are, they don't have to worry about you anymore. And yet they do. But yes, <laughs> yes they do. Of course. Yes. Yeah. But I think that, you know, they don't worry that you won't survive without them. Like right. What we still worry about is if they get into a car or they cross the street and they don't see somebody, small things, Yeah. small things. Yeah. Thank you for doing this with me. It was always a pleasure. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. I feel the same about you. And I'm just, I'm so glad that I have learned what I have from you in this regard. And, you know, the truth of the matter is people are very much the same. Absolutely. In, in, yeah. In yeah. At the end of the day, we have uh, far more in common than we realize. That's right. That's important. Well, thank you, dear. I Thanks. look forward to talking to you later and we'll, you know, let's just take a walk when we can. Get Sounds good. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. Thank well, you. Janet Gallon saying goodbye for now and we'll be back. Bye dear. Bye.